I'd like to just begin by saying good morning again. Welcome to worship again. Especially I want to say the, the hello and good morning to those of you who are joining us by video right now. Some of you are in our traditional sanctuary or you are joining us online or on TV and I'm glad that you're here. This is an opportunity that all of us have to learn together, to grow together, to be formed together by the Spirit of God for life together in Christ, for life in a good and beautiful community. Over the course of these last several months, we've been on a journey together. It's been called Restored. We're learning about the power of God's Spirit to restore us from what's broken about us to a good and beautiful life, knowing a good and beautiful God that we meet in Jesus and sharing life together in a good and beautiful community together in Christ. For these last few weeks, we've been learning about some of the characteristics of what that life together is like. And today, we're going to talk about one that's harder than it sounds, that is probably harder than we wish it would be. We're talking about being formed into a forgiving community, a community shaped by receiving and practicing forgiveness in our relationships here in our community. You don't have to raise your hand at all on this or say anything out loud. Or I just want to ask you, have any of you ever done something in life? I know what this feels like. Have you done something that now you look back and you regret? That you hurt somebody, you let somebody down, you did something, and when you think about that thing, you still feel it? It's still there. It's hard to believe that you've been forgiven by it. It's hard to forgive yourself. It's hard to experience release or forgiveness for that. Forgiveness seems like it should be so easy, right? It should just be, man, it's all good, clean slate, fresh start, second chance, no problem. And yet it, it's just way harder than it sounds. Or again, don't, you don't have to raise your hand or say anything, but let me just ask you about the practice of giving forgiveness. Do you guys have anything in your life? Does any, do any of you have something in your life where you've been hurt in the past? Abandoned, betrayed, let down, lied to? And when you think about the person who did that to you, it's still there? You're having a hard time releasing that? Having a hard time forgiving that? When you see them, it's part of what you feel when you see them? It colors your relationship with that person. If you and that person are part of a larger community of some kind, it's maybe in your family or in your extended family network or in a group of friends or neighborhood, a group of colleagues within your church family. It's, it's in there and it colors the, it shapes the community that you're a part of. I, I wish I didn't know what that felt like, but the truth is that I do and maybe many of you do too. I think one of the things that makes the practice of forgiveness so hard is we run away from it even while we need it. Have you ever noticed how rarely people actually use the language of forgiveness? Like when we're going to apologize to somebody, first of all, we say it as fast as we can. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, you know. And, then, and they're like, it's okay. No big deal. No problem. When in fact, it's not okay. It is a big deal. It is a problem. But we don't want to deal with that. Because the word forgiveness, it requires us to admit that somebody did something wrong, and we don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like being wrong. I did it once. I decided never to do it again. It didn't feel very good. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> right? Imagine when somebody says, imagine somebody says to you, that someone in relationship with you says to you, I forgive you. Now, maybe that could feel good, but there's a risk involved, isn't there? I mean, what if you didn't think that you did something that needed to be forgiven? What if you didn't think you did something wrong? There's potential for real offense there. Or just imagine that you're going to say that to somebody else and the feelings inside you when you say to them, I forgive you. Because like, what if they didn't think they needed to be forgiven? What if they didn't think they did something wrong? There's a risk there. 
So it's just a lot easier to be like, it's all good, no problem, no big deal, because they can agree with you that what they did was no big deal. Or you'd like to say that what you did was no big deal. Forgiveness is really slippery, tricky, risky, dangerous almost. Hard for us to receive, hard for us to believe, hard for us to offer and practice. It's helpful for us that among the very first people who learn to follow Jesus, who learn to be a community sharing life together in the way of Jesus, that forgiveness was a challenge for them too. Because as Jesus taught them about receiving and practicing forgiveness, that raised questions. And they asked Jesus questions. And fortunately for us, they wrote down his answers <laughs> so that we could learn from those about the practice of forgiveness in our own community. And today in the time we have together, I want to just briefly reflect on this one story from the life of Jesus and his first followers, the one we heard already in both of our worship venues, and kind of review that story and, and learn from it. So I it's, in, it's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. And on this occasion, one of Jesus' first followers, whose name was Peter, I don't know if, you've, if you know the stories of Jesus' life at all, if you ever have or haven't before, Peter is one of Jesus' closest followers, full of passion, passionately wrong half the time, passionately right some of the other times, always full of energy and commitment to whatever direction he's going in in that moment. And Peter comes to Jesus and he asks him, about this forgiveness that Jesus has been teaching, modeling, leading for them, and wonders, how, how am I supposed to do that? And this is the question that Peter asks in Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then Peter wants to show Jesus that he's a model of holiness. He goes like up to seven times even? Like that many? Jesus goes, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And some other versions record that as seven times seven, 490 times, right? Now, of course, the number isn't the specific point, right? It's not like, man, I'm at 75, just two more to go, I'm almost there. <laughs> Jesus just means to teach his followers that they are to be a forgiving community, that the practice of forgiveness doesn't, doesn't run out after a couple of instances. This is characteristic of who we are. But I think both he and Peter know what we know that that's going to be hard to do. Like, where does that come from? What's going to create that reality in us? And so Jesus tells Peter a story that's meant to change his and his communities and our communities' imagination, to help us understand a whole thing differently about where forgiveness comes from and how it flows. And so Jesus begins to tell a story. That's what parables do. Jesus tells a parable to change our minds, to change our view. Therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, you think, really? The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Okay, so let me just do a little conversion, I'll translate here, 10,000 bags of gold, right? So it's always a little bit dicey to take ancient numbers or amounts and convert them through 2,000 years of inflation to a different culture and figure out what it is now. But when you think about what that was to the average laborer and how long it would take, that's roughly $10 billion, right? Have any of you ever owed anybody $10 billion? Don't raise your hand on that one either. I don't, we don't want to know, all right? This is, and again, I think the... Uh, in this case, we're not talking about real numbers. 77, 70 times 7, 10 billion. The number's not the point. Jesus means to say, 
this is a huge amount. This is a debt you could never pay back. And Jesus wants us to see this is a huge thing. And then this guy who's being confronted with this unpayable debt, he begs for mercy. This is what the story goes on. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. He probably had no plan for that, but I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That is a huge act of forgiveness. That is a literally life-changing act of grace and forgiveness. His life from that day forward will be on a different trajectory than it would have been had that event not happened. That's what it means for something to be life-changing. Every day of his life, he will feel different. He will not have the same thing hanging over his head. He will not be in jail. His wife and his children will not be sold. His stuff will not be gone. This is a life-changing act of grace. And so as you can imagine, he will go out And this this is the time of settling accounts. And so he goes and he finds a fellow servant who owes him some money. The Bible says it was 100 silver coins. Again, that's hard to translate. This is at least a few thousand dollars, maybe as much as 10 or 20,000. So it's significant debt. It's actually meaningful. But compared to 10 billion, it may as well be zero, right? It's tiny compared to that. And so because he's had that incredible debt forgiven to him, he meets this other servant and he says, you should pay me back. And the guy goes, Please have mercy on me. Forgive me. I'm try- I can't do it all right now. And so this guy, having just experienced this incredible grace, Jesus says, begins to choke him, <laughs> wrings his neck, and says, I will throw you in prison. And word of this gets back to the master, <laughs> gets back to the king. And he calls in this first servant who's been forgiven this incredible debt. He says, what are you doing? I have forgiven you this incredible debt, and you can't forgive the pittance by comparison that this guy owed you. What are you doing? And then he pulls back his forgiveness and refuses to forgive him. What are we supposed to learn? What is Jesus wanting to teach us in this story? What are we supposed to learn about forgiveness? I think the first thing that we notice when we listen to this story from Jesus is that it started with Peter's question, which was not a question about receiving forgiveness, but it was a question about practicing. How much forgiveness should I give to somebody else? And Jesus takes the question about how much forgiveness do I offer other people and turns it into a question, first of all, about what kind of forgiveness am I receiving? What kind of forgiveness do I experience? And I think there are two characteristics of this story that we really need to have land on our hearts because at least part of the time, we don't believe them. We don't get them. And that is this. My debt is huge, and it's been forgiven. And a lot of us struggle with the first side of that. Or maybe certain seasons of life, certain events, certain people. We're like, my debt's not that big. I mean, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But I'm not as bad as they are. I haven't really done that. And we rationalize, and we minimize, and we justify. It's not that big of a deal. Sometimes we don't believe our debt is actually that big. We, we are numb to it. We are anesthetized to the reality. Other times in life or other people among us, we know. We get it. We know the debt is big. We just can't believe it's been forgiven. And it's hanging there around our necks and it's, and it's burdening our shoulders and it's a weight on our souls and it hurts our relationships. We struggle with one or both sides of this dynamic. And I, this story really impacts me. This story 
resonates with me personally in a pretty deep way because this experience was so important in my own journey. In my own journey of coming to know God in a living way and learning to follow Jesus, part of my story, part of my journey is going through a time in life as a younger person where I was thinking about who I am and thinking about what's inside me and looking at, honestly, how deep does the rabbit hole go? How dark is it in there? And taking an honest assessment that it's pretty messed up. Being honest with myself, reflecting on how selfish I really am, how prone I am to find every possible way to put my interests ahead of somebody else, to manipulate situations and relationships so they work out for me, how prone I am to hurt other people. And I, taking a look inside like that, that's not a comfortable reality. And it was in that experience and it was in that journey Part of my story is also then contemplating, remembering, recalling the good news of Jesus, the gospel that I had heard and learned as a child, that somehow in the midst of all this darkness, that God loved people so much that the Son of God became flesh and moved in among us and moved in close to other human beings who were just as messed up, broken, dark, and twisty as I am and call them his children. That God would know the truth about me, because I can hide it from myself, but it's pretty hard to hide it from God. That God would know the truth about me and call me his child anyway. That God's love would be so great for the world that he would offer us forgiveness, grace for all our sins, and welcome us into his family. And that, for me, I don't know any other way to describe it other than to say that that experience was a deep surgery for me. A deep healing painful but restorative cut. And that kind of thing, when, after that, everything's different. After that, stuff changes. Because it works like a cycle. Once you know how dark and broken you are, you know how much you need the grace of God. And then once you know how sweet and deep and wide and eternal is the grace of God, it gives you the strength to look at yourself and tell the truth, maybe even a little bit more. Because I think that when we don't know how secure and eternal and powerful God's love is, we will refuse to tell the truth about ourselves. We won't look with open eyes. We shield our eyes. We won't look honestly because, frankly, it's too big. It's too scary. If we're worried about what we're going to see, if we're worried about what's going to turn out, we just won't let ourselves see. But when you know the eternal, powerful, all-covering grace of God for you in Jesus then you don't have to minimize anymore and you don't have to hide and you don't have to lie and you don't have to pretend that it's not like that. You can tell the truth and then you tell the truth and you depend on the grace of God and the grace of God tells you the truth and it's a mutually reinforcing cycle. And I want to tell you that where I have seen sometimes the best examples of this are in some of the older saints in our church family, in our community. Some of you are here in this service right now or you're in our traditional sanctuary or you're watching on TV or online. And you've been walking with Jesus for decades. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you experience the sweetness of his, of his grace, the more you hear his stories and listen to his teaching and walk with the Lord. And as you grow in his grace, you also become more and more aware in life of just how far you have yet to go and how imperfect you still are. But rather than having that become a crushing, embittering reality, it just causes you to depend on his grace all the more. And the fruit of the Spirit in you 
is love and joy and grace and gentleness and forgiveness for others. And, you know, no matter what age you are, of course, age is no guarantee of anything old or young. It doesn't matter. But you guys are role models to the rest of us. You show us how that is and what it's like to tell the truth about yourself and live in grace. And part of the effect of your life among us is to make this a, a better and more beautiful community. Jesus invites us to see in this story how big the debt is and how bigger yet is the grace of God. And then he shows us there's another cycle. It's not just a cycle in us, but it's a cycle that flows out from us. That forgiveness is designed and given to make us forgiving. That's how it's supposed to work. Forgiveness begets forgiveness. And Jesus teaches this actually by counterexample, by telling us a story about somebody who didn't do it that way. And when we hear this story, we know in our bones that it's not supposed to happen the way it is in the story. It's so galling and angering that he would do that because we know that's not how it's supposed to work. Forgiveness has the power to make us forgiving. You know, in, in all the weddings that I've done as a pastor, all the marriages that I've helped people prepare for and weddings that I've had the privilege to perform, in nearly every case, as part of the pre-marriage or in the ceremony, I tell couples as they're entering into marriage, you are going to need forgiveness. Right? You are going to need to receive it and you are going to need to offer it. Because right now, you guys are awesome. And at this wedding, you're dressed up and you're beautiful and everything is great and you are so excited about each other. And there's going to come a day when you are not going to feel that way anymore. <laughs> and in that time, Jesus' love for you will not be shaken. There will be a Savior who loves you every bit as much as he did when you were acting lovable now that you are acting unlovable. And if you want to have and practice forgiveness in your marriage, the source is Jesus. Because when you have been forgiven like that, it creates in you a capacity to forgive like that. And I just want to take a minute while I'm giving you that example to, to speak a word to that segment of our community, those of you who happen to be married people. And I know that's not all of us, but that's one laboratory where we have to learn to receive and practice forgiveness. And I want to ask those of you who are in that circumstance, whether you're at a place where you need the fresh breath of forgiveness blowing into your relationship. Because I know that the reality is that for a lot of us, we go through seasons, and some of those seasons are long, where we are just gasping instead of breathing, where you can choke on the fumes of bitterness and unforgiveness and long-held resentments. And if that's where you are, I want to invite you to enter into the grace of God for you. I want to invite you emboldened and made courageous and willing to tell the truth because you know about the eternal, powerful, all life covering grace of God to tell the truth, to own your stuff, to step together into the truth and ask for forgiveness, to be vulnerable and then to be ready to offer it and then to be ready to practice it together. I want to invite you and challenge you in your relationship, both of you, if you're here, if only one of you is here, you get to lead in this, to take a step toward Jesus together, toward the person of Jesus who meets us with truth and grace together, to receive from him the promise and the reality of his life-changing forgiveness and begin to walk in that grace and forgiveness together because we need that breath.
We need that breath. All of us do, no matter what season or stage or walk of life you're in. And we are here to support one another in that practice. Jesus teaches us that forgiveness is there for us and to make us forgiving. But then his story also acknowledges for us, works in the reality that this is not automatic. This isn't like a machine. You put a quarter in and something comes out. (laughs) Nowadays, nothing comes out for a quarter, right? It's not like a machine that forgiveness goes in and you're just automatically forgiving. It is possible not to do this. It's supposed to work this way. God designed human beings and the world to work this way, that forgiveness begets forgiveness. But we can choose not to work it this way if we want to. And he tells this sort of messed up dystopian story so that we'll see what it looks like when we refuse to do it and not want to go that way. But instead, receive and practice forgiveness. Instead, receive the forgiveness of God for us in Jesus Christ and become not a dead end of forgiveness, but a river of forgiveness that flows right on through. Here, as we apply this truth to our lives in whatever situation we find ourselves, I want to invite you into two steps that we can begin to take here in our worship service even before the Lord sends us out into the rest of our lives. And the first one is that at the end of this message, in both of our worship venues, and those of you who are joining online and on TV, you can participate also, that we're going to just take some time together for a a movement of prayer and confession. We're in the quiet of our own hearts. We will tell God the truth about ourselves. Honestly, don't bother hiding it. He already knows. We tell God the truth about ourselves sometimes so that we will tell ourselves the truth about ourselves and to hear the good news of God's grace over us in Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to receive this opportunity, receive these moments as a gift to your soul, as an opportunity in your relationship with God to come out of the dark, to come into the light, to come out of bondage, to unburden yourself, to lay down that which is on you and to live in light and to live in truth instead and to hear and be reminded and told the unshakable truth that in Jesus Christ, God has called you, the real you with all your stuff, his child and welcomes you into a new day and welcomes you into a new day. And in those moments, I also want to invite you, as you may already have been doing in this time, to listen for how the voice of God, how the Spirit of God might be putting something on your heart, maybe calling to mind for you that relationship where you have forgiveness yet to offer. The the New Testament word that's translated as forgiveness is kind of a word picture. Another way to describe it would be to release, to release. When you forgive somebody, what you are doing is you are releasing your right to get even. You are releasing your hope and your plan that they will pay for what they have done. You are offering them release. It does not mean you are saying what they did is okay. If it were okay, you wouldn't have to forgive it. It furthermore does not mean that they will necessarily want to reconcile their relationship with you if that relationship is broken. Because reconciliation is a two-way street. It takes two people wanting to do that. Forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is something you can offer by God's grace to you and flowing through you. And also, I feel like I probably should acknowledge this too. Forgiveness is also not giving somebody else permission to go on hurting you. You If you're in a relationship, if you're in an abusive situation, forgiveness is not enablement of an abusive tendency. But forgiveness is releasing somebody else into the grace and into the hands of God. 
We are in the process of being restored from what we have been to what God is making us to be as individuals and as a community. And forgiveness is characteristic of that community. We are called by God to be a different people in Christ, a colony of God's kingdom for the sake of the world as a witness to a better way in Christ. God's Spirit is making us to be a forgiven community, a, practice of, a, a community of people who practice forgiveness, a forgiving community of forgiven sinners. Let's close this time in prayer, and then we'll continue in a spirit of prayer and confession. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for how you meet us, that in our brokenness, that you meet us in truth, that you acknowledge, that you, you tell the truth about us, and you say, I know, and I love you all the more. And God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would indeed be at work in our hearts in these next moments, hours, days, weeks, months, years, that you would work in us to reassure us of our forgiveness and to flow forgiveness through us that you would make us to be different, that you would set us free from our own guilt and that you would set us free from the bitterness and destruction of unforgiveness, that you would make us your people, a different people, a holy people, a free people, a forgiving people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.